0: Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week's movies are Intruder and The Mist. Trust me, these are not the films you want to miss. <laughs> Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols, which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted.
1: I know I shouldn't be looking at my phone while we were recording, but a little piece of news just popped up, and it says uh, James Gunn's Suicide Squad Redo. Mm-hmm. Just picked up Michael Rooker to play King Shark.
2: Yeah, I read that this afternoon. That's Way to, fucking, be, way, way to be up to
1: date. That's fucking dope.
3: Yeah. today sound pretty cool.
1: Today's been a crazy day. Did you guys see the Ghost Recon trailer? No. no. So, I was not going to watch it because it's a video game trailer for a video game series that I do not give two fucks about.
2: Me neither. That's why I didn't watch it.
1: Uh, but you need to watch it. Is literally the last uh, five seconds is one of the craziest fucking reveals I've ever seen. <laughs> Where, it, like, it comes so far out of fucking left field, you're like, wait, what, they did what with this series?
2: Unless, like, you can play Arnold Schwarzenegger from Commando in it, I have no interest.
1: Uh, it is something close to that awesome. Is it
2: S- Stallone as Cobra? Uh,
1: no. Oh, uh it is John, uh, what's his face? John Bernathal?
2: Yeah, as Punisher?
1: as Punisher mm. and and it, and what they lead you to believe is that Punisher is the bad guy in that series. And it actually because like it's it's this guy like talking and then at the end the other guy talks, and you know he says something about like, yeah, I get that. I'm a ghost too. And it zooms in and it shows John Bernathal's like you know face, obviously, and digitized into the game. And you're like, oh, that's pretty cool. And that kinda of sounds Punisher-y, and then like it fades out and it pops up with like the Punisher symbol and then fades back out and says Ghost Recon. And it's like, wait, what? It actually is Punisher? Holy shit. So now I gotta buy this piece of shit game and this piece of shit series that I don't give a fuck about.
2: Yeah, it's not really the Punisher symbol, it's just a skull.
1: I mean it's it's pretty obvious the inference.
2: Well, I think they're just inferring, hey, we got that Punisher guy, but he's not really the Punisher, but here's a skull to make you think he's the Punisher.
1: You think? Because I think Marvel yeah, no. would sue the dog shit out of them if they
2: didn't I don't care, about yeah. I need this. I'm still not interested.
3: If we're going to talk about trailers, should we be talking about the Watchmen trailer?
2: Uh, I don't yeah, it. that's pretty good. Um, I don't
3: understand it, because I thought it was like a reboot of the original thing, but it looks like it's a sequel.
2: It does look like it's a
3: sequel. Is it a sequel? I thought it was supposed
1: to be a prequel.
2: No, it looks like because uh, Jeremy Irons is playing. Um, uh, what the fuck's his name? Ozymandias. Okay, so he's obviously old man Ozymandias now, and then there looks like to like an army of Rorschachs. So my takeaway from that is that you know, his journal was shared or published or whatever and right. there's almost like a uh, like a vigilante cult if that makes any sense maybe so, so more like more like anonymous i guess
1: so basically they're making a, a sequel to the dark knight returns without using batman
2: yeah maybe That seems um, like
1: a lot a lot a pretty big jump but kind of uh, yeah, i mean that's that's how that's how that comic book series ends with batman forming a weird bat cult
2: um, yes. This yes, seems
3: uh, more like it's, Rorschach would be dead. This would be more like a cult that's brought yeah. up in his memory.
2: Yeah, because people, me. yeah, people running around in like ski masks with the Rorschach stamp on the front of it. Huh. So it looks cool. man. Yeah. It's, it's just a teaser, so you don't really get a whole lot of what the plot's going to be. But...
3: but I was surprised how excited I was for it. So.
2: Yeah.
1: I'm also assuming you guys saw the It trailer.
2: Well, yeah, that was going to be my next thing which is basically just like a little scene from the movie
3: it's kind of a weird trailer it's like here's just one of the scenes that you know what's gonna happen this is what we made it look like yeah i mean it's done really well it is it's creepy <laughs> the fuck out yeah i'm certainly interested in seeing the movie now based on that trailer so it yeah. did its job i mean
2: i was going anyway but
1: I
3: was, yeah i was getting ready to say were you not interested before I I was not nearly as excited by the first half as everyone else was.
2: Oh, really?
3: No, I thought it was okay. Like, I enjoyed it, but I didn't love it, and I didn't get super excited about it. And I thought it was, like, you know, done in such a way that if if it hadn't made money and they hadn't made a sequel, I'd have been fine with that. So,
1: I mean, I didn't didn't think it was the
3: best thing in the world, but I think it was uh, sequel worthy. Yeah. Sure. I have no, like I said, I'm looking forward to the sequel. I. I'm not bad mouthing the first one. I'm just saying it's not. It's not something where I was like super excited about it and all worked up. So. Plus, it's got a uh, Bill Hader in it. I really, really like Bill Hader.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I'd be curious to see if he can handle a role like this. I've only ever seen him in comedies, so.
2: Uh, he's been good on Barry. I mean, that's kind of a super dark comedy because he plays the hitman. Yeah. Who really has no emotion? So.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say he's really he's me. really good at playing straight man in comedy stuff, so I think he'll be fine.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have watched this clip of him on Conan though, talking about how the director kept not like yelling at him, but just kept telling him that he needs to stop smiling in scenes where he's supposed to be scared. <laughs> and he's just like, What? Well, that's just what I do. I guess when I when I get scared I smile. So they're just doing like reenactments. It's like, Bill, stop smiling. He's like, oh no, let's get out of here. And then like smile on his face.
3: (laughs) See, that's what I'm worried about, though.
2: (laughs) No, I don't think it's going to be that way.
3: Hopefully not. I have a reasonable level of faith in the directors.
2: Yeah, I like Andy. Shetty, so. I'm on board.
3: I assume the movie will be a little too long for my personal taste.
1: Do you guys think the movie's going to end with a flashback to them all realizing that uh, when they were children they had a gangbang with their female friend in the sewer?
3: Well, it better. (laughs) That's more like a post credits thing, I think, Marvel style. It's the only, you know. Normally, I'm I'm a little bit of a
1: purist, and I want uh, adaptations to be as close to the original (laughs) as (laughs) possible. they can be but like it's one of those circumstances that somebody's like should they change the ending and it's like yeah of course they should change the <laughs>
2: like,
1: like it's the only Dude, that no book heck, is that. so good but the end of that book you're like what in the fuck Stephen King <laughs>
2: <laughs> they were all connecting with how much they loved each other specifically through yeah. Bev
3: <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, and it's it it is for the record for people who haven't read the book way too descriptive.
1: It's
3: not, oh yeah. It goes on not, for a while. It's not like a line or two. It's like paragraphs about it. It's so upsetting. So I was even a kid when I read that book and I was just still like, this isn't right. Like, <laughs> that's like, well, I was like, "Not." I, I wasn't, wasn't old enough to drive yet when I read that book and I remember oh. like thinking, Oh, it's wrong with kids this young.
2: <laughs> oh, I was, I <laughs> was that much than me. I was eleven when I read it. Oh and God, I like, what? Cause, I mean,
3: is it, what? I mean, this what me and my friends are supposed to be doing.
2: Because <laughs> people have sex like earlier in the book, but they're like adults, and then all of a sudden it's just like a Yeah. <laughs> so weird. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say probably not. A reference to a gangbang in this movie.
1: Oh my god! And so I always like have to warn people about that. Whenever I recommend the book, I'm like, no, the book's so good, read the book. Mm. And then you start thinking about it, and you're like, oh, the ending gets a little weird. So, uh, <laughs> 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 so you might, you might want to just uh, trigger warning yourself before you get to the ten uh, uh, year old gangbang.
2: <laughs> i are like, what's in that?
1: Like, no, no, no. Still read it. Still read it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, you don't understand. Yeah, there's, there's a magical space turtle and an evil space spider um, doing battle on the material plane, and then some ten year olds fucking the sewer. <laughs> well,
2: you know, typical, typical, uh, typical uh, book stuff.
3: You guys know there's an editor somewhere that signed off on that. What is wrong with that guy? Uh, Even if if it's Stephen King that brings you that, don't you go, maybe maybe we shouldn't do that.
1: Actually, I've heard some stories that uh, after his first few books, his editors pretty much didn't ever cut stuff. They they would fix his, like, if he put, like, two thes in a row and shit like that. But other than that, they were like, okay... Print it. How, how big is it? Seven hundred and sixty-five pages. Fuck. All right. I can <laughs> print it. People will buy it. And right. speaking of weird. Stephen, King, <laughs> speaking of Stephen King and changing the ending.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Doug. Why don't you tell us about the mist?
0: Great uh,
2: segue.
1: Now
3: that was actually better than most of our other segues, we should stop <laughs> and acknowledge it. Swish. Alright, so The Mist is about uh, a an artist played by Thomas Jane. Lives in a small town in Maine because it's a Stephen King book. And one day a storm comes through, does some damage, takes his son into town, and a mysterious mist rolls through town, trapping this guy his neighbor his son and a bunch of other assorted townsfolk in a grocery store it becomes apparent that there is something evil in the mist the shermanator is eaten by some sort of giant squid (laughs) and uh eventually all the all the people start to turn on each other and go crazy causing them to uh causing a few people to eventually flee and get to the ending that upsets Noah so much that it makes (laughs) me happy inherently. (laughs) It's not a plot heavy film. Um, It's more about just Stephen King wanting to prove that he has even less faith in humanity than I do by providing this, like this is what would happen if things went wrong. Look how quickly everything falls apart. Look at how all the people hate each other almost immediately. (laughs) <laughs> that's basically what the movie is
2: yeah it's a movie about human nature yeah yeah and how horrible and it is
3: yeah and it, it's it's really is yeah like how horrible it is it's not about like the positive side of human nature it's like it's like there's, there's not like you know like in a lot of movies where there's some sort of natural disaster you'll get scenes of like religious groups splintering off to pray in the background and stuff and it's like oh i can see how they're dealing with it through trying to come together that's one of the positive elements of religion not not in this movie <laughs> in this movie there's like a crazy preacher later who within minutes of the mist rolling in is immediately just telling everybody else they're going to go to hell And what, there's a point where somebody goes you're scaring all the little children well they should be scared
0: <laughs>
3: still stop what the fuck the,
1: the best thing especially not, not so much about the, the book version but the, the movie version is the fact that uh, you guys Have you ever heard the term the worst possible universe or whatever it is? You know, where people believe we've slipped into another dimension.
2: The dark timeline.
1: Yeah, yeah. The dark timeline type of thing. So that's essentially what the movie is. If you really stop and think about it. Because if at any time in this movie, one single person had ever made the opposite decision, just one, at any point, every decision that's made, they could have stopped everything. And and everybody could have got out fine from from the very beginning. It's it's really odd.
3: Explain your stance because I don't know if I entirely agree with that, but Ab-
1: absolutely. So so from from the point, let's we'll we'll start at the point where the mist has already showed up, right? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, everybody's in the store. They're trapped. okay. Let's, let's so, say like it's not their fault. They didn't know anything was weird was going on. So
1: that. somebody decides to have the balls to go with Carol, right? Mm-hmm. They would have been rescued. When she was rescued and been able to tell everyone where the other survivors was, in which the assumption is the Carol character didn't tell those people because she was pissed off because no one would go with her and was like "fuck them, they can all burn in hell." She even says it as she's walking right. out the door, right? So that saves everybody.
3: Right. I, I don't. I think they're, you're adding an assumption to the character there, though.
1: I don't. I don't think I am because she even shoots him that that "fuck you" look as she's going by on the rescue wagon.
3: She's definitely pissed, but we don't have enough insight to that character to know whether she's so vindictive that she would let like hundreds of people die. Or hundreds of people in the store. I think I, so. I, 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 th- I think, you're, I think you're, ex- you're extrapolating your lack of faith in humanity and expressing it onto that one person who we don't know well enough. That's, that's pretty dark. That's pretty dark, and I'm not sure the movie gives us that. Like, you could uh. also interpret the events that she was rescued Minutes before we see her on that truck at the
1: end. I she, I mean she, I mean I suppose so, but she makes it to her house and rescues her kids and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, so, so, but what, she could
3: have just. So no matter her around, and, like, no matter
1: me, no matter what, she makes it out and and the rest of them get fucked. So after that, um, I mean pretty much all of it. If the neighbor had believed him instead of assuming that he was playing on some kind of bizarre prank in which half the fucking town apparently is in on this weird prank, and the dude still thinks that. And instead of wasting all of that time, they probably could have really reinforced everything. And because he was the leader character, the crazy religious lady could have never got a foothold. So once again, pretty much everything turns out all right for everybody.
3: Uh, yeah, I think that I think if that, that character had bought in earlier, he could have... Certainly things would have gone in a different direction. Especially once they showed him the blood and he started denying...
1: <laughs> right, right. The you night guys night are smearing
3: night. cow blood back
1: there, and it's like... There's,
3: there, there's a guy gone missing, and there's a bunch of blood, but I still don't believe that that guy was killed. Uh, yeah, know, but, yeah, but and
1: once, once again...
3: It, back
1: yeah, and with I'm, I'm just saying, if if you really... And on rewatches, I see it even more and more. If you just watch it, every decision they make, if they just did the other thing, so even when they escape, if they had draw, drove the opposite direction... Because apparently what happened was they were literally ahead of the rescue caravan that entire time. Just yeah. by like five minutes or whatever. They'd gone the other way. Save. Thank you. When they're sitting in the car and they decide to go out with the, the most horrible fucking suicide scenario ever. If they had just waited until they were attacked. Which, why the fuck don't you wait until you're attacked? to kill themselves, once again, rescued. Yeah. Just over and over and over in the movie that happens. Just if if they had just fucking stopped for two seconds, if anybody or even the crazy lady, I mean if, if they had just at the beginning been like, okay, she's fucking dangerous, let's Let's tie her up and shut her the fuck up. You know what I mean? Which is which is a horrible thing to think of. But the old lady had the right idea whenever she beamed her in the fucking face with that can of peas. Like you gotta yeah. you've gotta shut the crazy lady up. She's gonna make everybody crazy.
3: No, yeah. I mean I think certainly like if we get into some of the things you brought up, like the overarching theme that Everybody panics and makes wrong decisions in the circumstances, and and oftentimes makes contradictory decisions, which is why I think you can refer to all of them as wrong. Um, but one of, and one of the other themes that and it's like it's Stephen King. It's like we might as well have a 50s greaser bully in this movie. It's so Stephen King, and it's just like <laughs> the religious lady when she starts going off, and it's exactly right. It's like we're letting her. Spew off her religious stuff. We're kind of backing off because it's her, because it's religion. We're letting her say horrible things we wouldn't let anyone else say, and she's doing all this damage, and we're just letting it happen. That's obvious commentary from King on how he sees religion in our society, right? Yeah. Oh. That's that's built into a lot of his works, and it's right in full display here. And I think Darabont does a really good job of capturing it because we see the, uh, we see that character like she's spewing like righteousness at people quoting the bible and everything and then the minute she doesn't like what somebody says to her she like turns on them and calls that that one girl a bitch and she calls the other lady some other names and And you're like whoa I thought you were like the goody two shoes character that was all hyper religious how come now you're saying these horrible things about these other people just because they're not Not agreeing with you
1: oh oh no she's been corrupted by the red king sir (laughs) crimson king yeah you know what I'm talking about she says, "She says the line. You can't trust anybody that says the line." My, my life for you, Stephen King stories. If they say that, you are fucked.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I was trying to uh, trying to find Frank Darabon on Twitter, just so I could shoot him shoot him a message and say, "Hey, did uh, did Carol from The Walking Dead tell anybody about the people in the grocery store?" He hasn't posted anything in four years on his Twitter, so. Oh, that makes me sad. So I'm like, he's probably, he probably wouldn't have an answer for me. <laughs> so we'll never know. We'll never know.
1: Have you guys heard the the even worse interpretation of that ending? That the crazy religious lady was right the whole time?
3: That it was the end of days?
1: Well, kind of. But that it really was God punishing mankind. Because the whole, the whole thing is in the end she keeps talking about expiation, and the only way to end it is going to be through human sacrifice and right before they leave she decides that it's um, the guy's son and the blonde lady that are the ones that have to be sacrificed to end it and at the end whenever they're doing the suicide pact he kills both of them and literally it all ends a couple minutes later showing that like expatiation was the answer they had to sacrifice the child and the woman he just didn't do it like willingly that's a very interesting
3: take on it because it's it's not
1: it's a super bleak ending too because you're like oh so so the moral of the story is god really was a bloodthirsty fucking monster
3: (laughs) yeah i don't think that's how the film intends you to take that ending but it certainly isn't a
2: you can't disprove <laughs> it. it
3: not, yeah, no. I mean, you could you could interpret it that way, and that's fine. Um, it's fucking even darker than the other ending to the film that most people just see, which is just that this guy now has to live with that guilt. Uh, but yeah, holy shit, I hadn't picked up on that.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the only way the end gets even darker. Where you're like, oh, well, fuck.
3: I will say this, and I'm not sure what it says about the movie and what it says about me, but. When I, whenever I watch this movie, and I don't know how many times I've seen it—probably more than ten—it really depends on the mood I'm in. Because sometimes, when that ending comes, I just sit here and go, "Oh shit, look at that poor fucking guy." But other times, I laugh out loud because it's just <laughs> such a fucking like, a oh, come on!" kind of moment. Like it's just, <laughs> and it's just like, "Holy shit!" Like
1: Thomas Thomas Jane is not the best actor in the world, but he's but he's good and well, I'm just I'm just saying he has his flaws. Sometimes he's pretty unconvincing doing certain things. I I'm not saying he's bad because I think Thomas Jane's fucking awesome. But like throughout the movie, some of his acting's a little like stiff and boring, but that ending of him just wailing in unnatural deep soul pain, it's so fucking yeah. convincing that you're like, oh, oh, he's like ugly screaming. (laughs) That, That is upsetting. I do not like that. Make him stop being sad.
3: Well, and I think the thing is with that too is like because he's sort of stoic throughout most of the movie and he does have like relatively calm reactions to almost everything that happens and he's like our kind of logical character and then to see him break down like that, to see that burst of emotion from because we do see a moment early on where he becomes violent after witnessing the the first death um and we're just like okay i guess you know he's got this breaking point but throughout most of the movie he's just very kind of calm and collected and then all of a sudden this happens and you're like you see him break down like that it's just such a change in the character and understandably so
1: yeah and i like i like jane's character in this movie you know who my favorite fucking person is the goddamn grocery store clerk guy, uh, Arnim Zola. <laughs> I can't remember what the actor's name is, but he's Toby
3: Jones. He's
1: he's always going to be Arnhem Zola to me. Uh, he, is, he is good, but just I I just like the uh, the use of that character where you know it's this tiny, unassuming, kind of polite guy, and then kind of he's the kind of the badass of the movie (laughs) like because once he gets the gun and stuff he starts fucking shit up
3: yeah but he's also surprisingly cool and collected as necessary like there's the moment when he first has the gun and those big the bugs are making it through the glass and those first big couple of things come through and people are telling him like just shoot them just shoot them and he's like I can't I'll hit the glass like he's thinking shit through whereas everyone else is in panic mode he's actually very strong as as a character and you see him like like he's in his element in this like apocalypse whereas like before he was like his career in life was to be like third in command at the grocery store and then it's like all of a sudden this this is my time to shine this is what I've been training for I guess <laughs> it's kind of a neat character I like it because he like you can see that moment where his boss guy starts yelling at him because he's giving out like free stuff from the grocery store during the apocalypse and he just turns on the guy he's like you can write me up when this is over but for now you can just fuck off and it's like (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah you can tell that's like the first time that character has stood up to his boss ever and it's it's impressive acting and directing i think that gets us to that point of understanding all that with relatively little screen time
2: how do we feel about the uh Special effects. Not
3: the, not the greatest in all the scenes. <laughs> the first scene when uh, the tentacles come in and pull the kid out, no yeah. there's just there's some problematic CGI going on. And there's some like, there's a little bit of that like, we're not ready for this yet type acting where they don't know how to behave around something that doesn't exist. So you get the moment where uh, the guy we were just talking about, he has to jump over one of the tentacles to get somewhere. And you see him like stop and jump and you can totally tell there was nothing there for him to jump over <laughs> it's it's real bad but i mean he's doing the best he can in the circumstances i understand that that must be very difficult to act that way uh but even when the when the kid gets dragged off and you see his like face disappearing into the mist and you're like oh oh you probably should have just really dragged a kid into some mist because it would have looked a lot better than that like
1: <laughs> in- you guys, you guys had the Blu-ray thing of this, right? Mhm. Yeah. Did they put the alternate opening scene on that? The one that was cut?
3: I don't know. I have no idea. I, did, I didn't watch any of the special features since I've got the Blu-ray back when it was new, so.
1: Supposedly the the original movie opens with the uh, the military base and them doing some kind of a weird experiment on something that they said looks like a giant diving helmet and some scientists telling them that it's not safe to turn it on because the storm's going and you know of course some general being like ah we're wasting money start the experiment they turn it on and of course lightning strikes and, and oh the little experiment opens a bigger hole ah, and that's how the movie starts
3: I don't like that starting so we're clear I'm glad that's not in the
1: movie yeah that would have been bad so. well, the is even-
3: much more effective I don't know what's going on
1: I was going to say, even the director agreed it was bad. He's the one that made the final decision to cut it. Somebody was like, I don't think that fits. And he goes, "Eh, you're right.
2: Yeah, Frank Darabont's usually pretty good about about knowing what to do and what not to do.
3: Yeah, I I just think if we saw that and then we went into this, it becomes a monster movie at that point, as opposed to this movie that we're discussing, which is all about the humans in the story, which could also be a fun movie. It just would be a very different movie.
1: Did you guys watch the colorized or the black and white?
2: Uh, I actually just watched the colorized because I had to watch it at work.
3: Yeah, I also watched the colorized this time. Nah, Which I, do I think,
1: didn't have an option.
3: Yeah, the CGI does look better on the black and white one. I have seen it. Um, it's just, I don't know, it defaults to the color one when you have the Blu-ray, and so <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really think it through that much. But yeah, it, the CGI I do think looks better. I think some of the colorization is the problem with the design of the monsters. And I'm not sure if that's because they were trying to get them to match the color descriptions in the book or what what it is. But it's kind of one of those things where they they don't look like the natural color of anything that I know of in society. Like, you know what I mean? No bugs are purple or pink or whatever color those things are supposed to be. Uh,
2: I'm looking on the Amazon listing for the Blu-ray. It says it has deleted scenes, which I usually never watch deleted scenes. So if that opening exists, it might be in there.
1: But that's, that's weird. That's always the very first thing I watch is deleted scenes. Because yeah. I'm always interested to see in what they decided shouldn't go in the movie.
2: And I always feel like if they decided it shouldn't go in the movie, then it's probably not really worth watching.
1: I don't See, I don't know, because a lot of the times I'll disagree with them and be like, oh my god, that scene was so awesome. Why did they cut that out? Kind of like The Crow. Have you ever watched the deleted scenes for The Crow? No. I just said I don't watch deleted scenes, though. Oh. Do I have to spell it well, out for you? Well, so they you know, they took <laughs> they took an entire character out of that movie. Yeah. And it's awesome. Like all of his scenes are fucking awesome. <laughs> and it's it's just sad. It's sad that that vanished.
3: Yeah. Well a lot of times it's done for pacing and other things like that that it's hard to imagine what the film would actually work with that character inserted in even if the scenes are individually cool
1: Uh, actually it would have the reason why they took him out is after Brandon Lee died the actor playing that character didn't want to be in the film anymore just because like apparently he really liked Brandon Lee and was like okay I like he's dead this is really sad I don't take me out
2: <laughs> yeah alright so, I mean, overall, what did you
3: guys think of the movie
2: The Mist? <laughs> I was gonna say, is it a recommend, or how's everybody feel?
1: Uh, I I would say it's not like a perfect movie by any stretch of the means, but it's really fun, and I like it. And especially on if you if you put it on a a smaller scale, which is the scale of Stephen King adaptations, it's good, which puts it way up in the top ten percent. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, again, it's a Frank Darabont movie. He usually tends to, to knock it out of the park when he gets his hands on something.
1: Right. And he did 3, right? He did 3 Stephen King movies and they're all 3 good.
2: Yeah, this Shawshank and Green Mile. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's what I'm yeah. saying Frank, Dar- you know Frank what Darabont does? plus it's Stephen it's King
3: pretty good. Well, it's also, I think Darabont has a tendency to grab the novellas and make them into full-length movies like mm. this is a The Mist is like a short story and it's like a two hour movie which is I think how you have to make Stephen King almost. That's the problem with it and with Pet Sematary and stuff is like how do you cram all of this into a movie and also how do you bring the characters to life and that's what Darabont I think gets right is the characters and the fact that he just allows us to linger and spend time with these characters so that we care about them and get to know them. Because I mean there are there are not that many action beats in this movie, when you think about it, for the type of movie it is. There's the opening kind of storm, then there's the incident with the tentacles, there's the one set of bugs breaking into the store, then there's like the trip to the pharmacy, and then there's the ending. That's all in a movie that's over two hours long. The rest of it is dialogue-driven. I I do have to say that the trip to the pharmacy is probably, from a horror movie perspective, the best thing that happens in this movie by far. Just watching them like, watching those creepy spider bug things come out of human bodies and those bodies are half alive and have eggs laid in them is just the creepiest fucking thing imaginable.
2: (laughs) Yeah, the acid webbing always uh, freaked me out from the story.
3: Yeah. I don't know why for some reason I was convinced that that's like a real thing, that there are spiders with acid webbing, which doesn't even really make sense. It's just for some reason in my head, it sounds just realistic enough that if you ever, like, fell asleep in the wrong forest in South America, one of those fuckers would get you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: Doug's afraid of acid webbing. It's great. I mean, would you want to get acid webbed, Brian? Dude, spiders even come near me. I'm already, like, a flamethrower, so... Even just the one in the house
3: that raises the question as somebody who's so scared of uh spiders how does it work when they're like these creepy weird interdimensional alien spiders still creepy or
2: Uh, it's still creepy it's still my least favorite part of the movie it's got it's got to be worse yeah yeah. uh i will say seeing them is not nearly as bad as reading the book and just imagining it so yeah i don't want to think about it anymore
3: no i do because it's awesome i don't like i don't love the uh the full-size one that we see later. Like it's still creepy. Once it's outside of the store and it's like attacking them on the car and that, it's not nearly as scary as it is in like that dark pharmacy with all the webs and the bodies hanging on the wall and the atmosphere that that creates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really like that. I think it's really cool. We should say, too, like, the mist itself is actually pretty cool. And there are a number of shots throughout the movie of people like wandering into it. And you kind of get that feel of like you you can see people and then you can see them a little less and then all of a sudden they're just gone and you're just like that's creepy as shit when you think about that like they're still very close by and all of a sudden you just can't see them and then there's a couple of different moments where something happens in the mist and we don't know what and it's like i think it's done really well
2: so as we're talking about the spiders i was scrolling through facebook and ran into some random artwork that actually has them on it. That's perfect. So, yeah. Good times. Uh, Whatever what we think thinking, like the behemoth at the end.
3: Yeah, I thought it looked really cool, actually. Um, yeah,
2: that's probably my, one of my favorite visuals in the movie.
3: Yeah, like I think where the CGI kind of hurts this movie a little bit, because it was just relatively low-budget CGI in, in the mid-2000s kind of thing, mm. um, I think for those distance shots the cgi was perfectly fine back then and it allowed them to put this visual on that would have been impossible like if they tried to make the story previous to this Yeah. so I, i i think it's great and i just think like the idea too like setting aside the the visuals just the concept of you're driving away from having been trapped hoping to find sanctuary and you see one of those like Uh, no ask question earlier, like, why the fuck didn't they wait till they were attacked to kill themselves? And it's like, how does that not cause you to lose all the hope you have left (laughs) when you're just like, okay, we haven't seen one of those little bugs in a while. Fuck, it's something the size of one of those walkers from Empire Strikes Back is just stepping over top of us now. I don't know.
1: I suppose it's probably, maybe it's because I'm like, such a staunch atheist, but, but death to me is non-existence. And, and so existence has to be pretty terrible before the preference becomes non-existence.
3: Yeah, but I, I just think, talking about these characters, I think the concept is, we know that non-existence is coming. We're there. It's not, a, it's not an if, it's a when. So why suffer on our way out the door kind of thing?
1: But, but you don't have to suffer. You've got to go with bullets. You can just wait until they get to the car and then kill yourself.
3: Well, that's that'd be a pretty horrible existence, just sitting in the car, staring at each other. Should I shoot him now? Should I shoot him now? We
1: well, now? Once, again, existence got to be pretty bad before non-existence is the preference. So, I'm okay with squeaking out that last minute, that last minute of sitting in the car and playing tic-tac-toe or some boring
3: shit. Yeah, you know, if we're ever in this scenario, you can you can die last. That'll be the deal. <laughs>
1: Oh man, now I'm the one that doesn't have a bullet. (laughs) Hold hold on. Oh! Oh!
2: (laughs) And on that note, Noah, why don't you tell us about Intruder? (laughs) Uh,
1: So, Intruder is about the night shift at a local grocery store. Um, They're closing up for the evening. When we have a creepy leather-bound guy show up, and he's kind of popping up in some reflections and shit, they really like the reflections in this movie a lot. Uh, eventually, guy gets inside the store, assaults one of the girls. Turns out he's an ex-boyfriend who accidentally killed a guy in a bar fight or something. I think is what they said, right? Yep. Who's been in prison and now he's all wonky in the brain. Uh, we have, uh, you know, your usual cast of people, kind of like your your final girl, your stoner guy, your Ted Raimi, who works in the back.
3: <laughs> your Ted ramy Yeah, that's what that's considered a stereotype at this point.
1: It really, he really should be. He's like a horror movie trope. Your your Ted Ramey esque character with glasses that kind of yeah. is weird.
3: You got to congratulate them on getting Ted Raimi to play the Ted Raimi in this movie.
1: <laughs> right. They really had a lot of foresight. Uh, so then, of course, uh, people start dying uh, in in horribly gruesome ways. And then the uh, once the killer reveal happens, kind of at the three-quarter mark, then we get Final Girl and uh, Leather Jacket asshole rapist dude kind of teaming up, which is weird. Uh, trying to fend off the, the killer who's not like he he's kind of disturbing in the haha, I'm a crazy person way, but he's not really an intimidating guy. <laughs> I don't, I feel <laughs> like if I was in that situation, I'd be like, okay, I can, I can take this guy. <laughs> like, I just need a brick or something to hit him with.
3: <laughs> they do back from the head of the hammer and he still makes it back. So
1: that's true. And, and he takes, that dude takes some punishment and keeps going. You got to yeah. give him props. He's, He's oh. he's in it to win it.
3: I mean, spoiler alert: he was forty nine percent stakeholder in that business, and they tried to sell the grocery store from under him. So a lot of people, a lot, a lot of people, had that coming, really.
1: I love I love his justification and how like fucked it gets if you start thinking of it because he was like, "Well, my plan was only to kill him." And, you know, I had to make sure that no one would stop me from killing him. And then I guess I got carried away. And it's like, no, you, the first girl, you (laughs) killed the first girl in the parking lot outside the story. She was sleeping before the murders started. (laughs) Clearly, you were planning on killing more people than that. State your motivations properly, psycho. (laughs) yeah Uh,
3: i think the main the main flaw in that character was that he had a tendency to understate his psychotic tendencies right Um, it wasn't really the murdering it was the lying about the murdering that got him you know that's
1: what i'm saying i mean and i'll give him i'll give him a little bit he's clearly super crazy pants he tries to beat a guy to death with a severed head
3: yeah (laughs) Which, which is awesome which is awesome yeah it's fantastic this- he also like it's it's implied that he started fucking with people somewhere along the way because at some point he did sever somebody's hand and put it in a pack of meat and leave it on the shelf just just to see if Ted Raimi would find it. <laughs> so, which
1: he did not.
3: <laughs> he found it eventually.
1: Yeah, I suppose. At the moment of death. Yeah. No.
3: It's one of my it's one of my favorite visuals ever is that hand in that package. Actually, kind of...
1: Isn't it the other Ramy that finds it? Isn't that Sam? Sam finds the hand because then he gets oh, the shit, uh, the no. hook thing through the chin, right? Did
3: I get my Did I get my Raimis mixed my, up? My it, crazy guess
1: doesn't Ted get stabbed in the back of the head with a big knife? Uh-huh.
3: Yeah. For the record, I'm a little annoyed with Ted Ramy and Sam Ramy for looking so much alike. It makes it too easy <laughs> to get them confused.
2: Well, That's Ted just... Ramy glasses,
1: Sam Ramy no glasses. I understand, but it's interesting how much that deviates as they got older. <laughs> Because young them look a lot alike, and old them do not. Uh, this was a first time watch. I thought I'd seen this before, but apparently not. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, it's nice. That was a nice little surprise. <laughs> it's it's not, a happy little
3: slasher, isn't it?
1: Right. It's not. It's not very often that I come across a slasher movie that, at the end of it, I'm like, oh shit, that was really good. I kind of want to watch that again. <laughs> because the problem the problem is is in the day and age we live in we've the filter of time has already happened with slasher movies so mm-hmm. i feel like i've already seen all of the best slasher movies so now i have le- all i have left is seeing all the not as good ones that i haven't seen and actually coming across one that's pretty fucking awesome is is rare
3: yeah i can see your point but i think that there are just if you like this type of movie that doesn't rely on characters or plot or acting or any of that stuff. And it's just about the fun kills and the and the like fun eighties style gore. There's still tons out there that you haven't seen that are good. I guarantee it. It's just you haven't found them yet. It, oh. it's how it is. Because there were so many made and every now and again one hit. What? And it's just like I know that not all of you I know that you can't have seen them all, yeah, there haven't been that many days since the eighties ended.
1: Right, right, but I'm not. I'm not talking about like good ones because there's a lot that are that are like good, but I'm talking about ones that are like pretty fucking awesome. And like this one, it's fucking awesome. That dude, yeah. that dude's head getting mushed in the uh, the trash press. Yep, it's pretty good. Man, that's real fucking good. Like, like good enough that whenever it happened, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> like, how is that not like a gif? <laughs> from uh,
2: Facebook. What about the one the uh, getting sliced up on the meat saw?
3: Yep. Oh yeah, yeah, that That's too. Fucking good too. <laughs> I like the uh, I like the guy getting his eyes shoved onto whatever that thingy is that you put. The yeah, little oh, spike it, that people ticket, have. That ticket, program, yeah, program for some reason,
1: it's co- it's just called a ticket spike.
3: Okay. <laughs> I, I've never known what one of those is called before. You know what the beauty of all of these kills is too. Is this film loves to let you know they're coming? Like we're gonna have entire scenes where each of those kill devices is like for some reason in the focus, despite the fact that it's not particularly relevant to the scene. And they're just it's just literally like, look at all the stuff we have around here. Bet you we could kill some people with this. Wouldn't that be fun, folks? And you're at home watching it going, that would be fun. When are they gonna to get to the saw? When are they gonna to get to the saw? And, and then they get to the saw and you're like, Yes, they did it, they got to the saw.
1: And I know and I know they did this on accident because of when this movie was made, but so the first kill is like your old school, okay, you see a hand, okay, you see a knife, okay, girl screams, you see knife come down and she's dead, right? We don't yeah we don't get a, a detailed, gory a no. splatter no. thing.
3: And, me, we get the swinging knife and then we get the melon being chopped which is the right. perfect
1: job. <laughs> right 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 but but they in in typically in these uh slashery movies it's one or the other you're either all of your kills are kind of like that or all of your kills are gory kills in this one they give you that first almost like Alloy kind of death yeah. And and so you're expecting the rest of them to be like that, and then they are not. <laughs> like it goes, it goes the opposite. It it almost goes full German on you all of a sudden. You're like, holy shit!
3: Yeah, it, it does kind of like ease you into the bigger GORB scenes and gives you time to prepare for them, which I like. I really I really like that. I, I think the fact that it starts with like relatively calm kills makes those last whatever five kills that are fantastic just so much better Mm -hmm. because by that point you're not really expecting that level of gore that you get which you should be because the film has nothing else to offer besides the gore like it's you know what i mean even the even like the humor is pretty terrible but
1: no i don't i don't know i actually think the killer guy is pretty funny toward the end
3: towards the end i'll agree with you but there's a lot of jokes where it's just like like when that one body gets stuffed into the garbage can after he's been cut in half and the, the half off sign is there. I'm like, I don't think they know how corny that is. I think they're shooting for a joke.
1: I I don't know. I think that's delightful. <laughs> Cuz I feel like I feel like there's something even more terrifying about a killer that would make that kind of joke that it's like, "Oh god, he's into puns." He's into puns and he's a murderer. This is the worst.
3: the one I do do really like is when he the killer for some reason hangs out in the aisle opposite the other guy who's like facing the aisle and he's uh he's like hey throw me your knife I need it for something he tosses it over to him and then when he tosses it back to him he just leaves the blade extended so when the guy goes to catch his knife it just cuts him it's like (laughs) that's awesome just just fucking with people for fucking with people's sake and I love it this is equivalent to Jason breaking into somebody's house and leaving a cat in the closet.
1: Oh my God. And whenever he, uh, he cuts off the guy's head and then he's using it as a puppet to draw her in. he's like going,
3: help me, help me. Brilliant. That's how you do it. That's, that's a callback to last week's discussion about uh, the guy that dresses up in other people's clothes to trick the friends into coming closer. This guy just uses the full on head. <laughs> yeah.
1: And, Angie, gonna fucking. I love the ending of this where, yeah, okay, they they stop the bad guy, but basically he manages to pin everything on them right before he dies. Yep. (laughs) This is like, yeah, I'm gonna die, but you're going to prison for life. Eh. Uh,
2: They killed everybody. And they're all just like,
1: no, he killed everybody. Bruce. Campbell's just like, who do you believe I almost I almost think there's this great inside reference to I don't know if you guys noticed so at the very end during that climax fight where he's dragging her underneath the car and of course you see the knife at her friend's chest and she's kind of flailing but she never actually manages to reach the knife and he pulls her out and then she stabs him with the knife and he goes ah where'd you get the knife <laughs> And I almost wonder if they did that on purpose where you never see her get that knife and it's like, this doesn't make any sense. No, fuck it. But it's funny if she stabs him. I wonder. Because there is the other
3: moment in at the end oh. there where when she she first uh, like the killer is revealed and he's still trying to blame it on the boyfriend. And he starts telling the story about what happened with the, his first fight with the boyfriend character. But he tells the truth, which is fucking weird. Like He's like, <laughs> yeah, I tried to get him in the back alley. And then he Whacked me with my own hammer, and you're like, "Well, that is what happened. We saw that happen." <laughs> well, it, it's not the best story. Why did you? If you're gonna be, if you're gonna be a murderer anyway, you can lie and make a better story.
2: <laughs> I don't know. I don't think he has plan quite thought out.
3: No, I think he's. I think he snapped because they were taking away his grocery store, and he just, for whatever reason, decided snapping. It's the '80s, and I've snapped. I guess I'm just gonna have to kill some people that's how that which,
2: works which i'm gonna i i want to ask how do you he says he worked his way up how do it you work make any
3: sense.
2: how do you work from cashier to co-owner
3: i don't well some places do cutter. give you
1: like stock purchase as part of your like raise so maybe whenever he became general manager you know what i mean they gave him like 30% of the shares or something
3: I don't think that that happens in businesses where there are only two owners though. (laughs) Like that happens in like corporations where they issue you shares as part of a bonus or whatever. But I don't think it happens in privately held companies that would have only only one owner. And then they're like, that butcher is really good. we got to promote him, offer him a 25% share of the company. (laughs) He he's just uh, the best paid meat cutter in grocery store history and he just saved up enough money to buy 49% of the store.
2: <laughs> if
3: he'd worked like two more shifts in his meat cutting position and say, he bought 51% of the store, none of this would have happened.
2: <laughs> yeah, it just seems like a weird thing. Like, why are you putting options for your employees to buy part of the store? That's what got you in this
3: problem in the first place. It, it, it is weird.
2: Yeah, if they just would have said he was co owner, I would have been fine with it. It was the working up from meat cutter to co owner of the store that kind of <laughs> threw me off. I yeah.
1: I I will say, movie got me on the killer. Usually these ones where the killer has to be somebody in the store, you know what I mean? It has to be one of the introduced cast. Uh I was my money was actually on uh uh Ted. I thought Ted was going to be the killer, the weird, <laughs> you know, stock boy in the back that's always fucking off and dancing with his headphones on. I was like, oh yeah, he's gonna, yeah. that's the killer. He's going to murder everybody.
3: It made sense. He was like the meat cutter guy too, right? So we had access to all the knives and stuff. No.
2: Ted Ramey.
3: I can't. I keep. Am I getting my Rameys mixed up again?
2: Sam Ramey was the butcher. Tim Ramey or Ted Ramey?
3: Who's Ted? Who's Tim Ramey?
2: Ted Raimi was the one
3: uh with the headphones not, on. Yeah,
2: you with know, the headphones eating all the fruit or whatever. What was he doing? He was just like moving know. shit from like
1: one side of the stock room to the other the whole night. <laughs> yeah, he was a, he was a stock boy.
3: Alright. I accept that. It is yeah. super fun to watch a movie like this now and see Sam Raimi and Ted Raimi and then Bruce makes his little appearance. <laughs> I, I don't understand why Bruce Campbell's not playing the boyfriend character the whole time because they had access to him. I mean, it's not like he would have been expensive in 1989.
2: I don't know. Maybe he didn't have time. He only had time to show up to play the cop.
3: Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, so we apparently
2: apparently but, they, they plastered Bruce and Sam and Ted's face all over the posters for this.
3: Well, yeah, because they were the most famous people. <laughs> of
2: course. But they made it seem like they were like the lead characters. So it's like, well,
3: yeah, not so much. No, like like the DVD that I'm holding right now, at the very top, it says Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi from Lawrence Bender, who's the producer of Wars of War Dogs and Pulp Fiction and From Dust Till Dawn. <laughs> it, somewhere in the bottom corner here in the fine print, it says the name of the director. It doesn't have any of the other actors' names on here. <laughs> so it's just literally like, here's the most famous names in it. And we're just going to stick those right up front. And frankly, it's probably why I bought this DVD back in the day. I don't remember that specifically, but I can only imagine, right?
2: Yeah, I believe I bought mine from the Full Moon booth
3: at some convention. Do you know what? I might have as well, because I definitely bought it at a convention.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: And I think think it's the picture on the back of the box of Sam Raimi with the hook in his face, I think is what got me. I'm like, I got to know how that hook got in his face.
2: (laughs) Apparently, he was picked up by a very small gentleman and just placed on the hook
3: yeah that i mean sure it's a slasher movie so yeah once when you go crazy and start killing all your employees you develop the strength necessary to do what needs to be done to these <laughs> this just is what it is right
2: oh yeah just, that, I, just walk up behind sam and be able to just immediately pick him up off his feet
1: yeah oh yeah Did, and we didn't mention it oh man the, the kill where he impales the guy with the big 10 inch butchered knife and he impales him into the rack of beer cans so like he stabs through him and there's this great spray of blood and this like explosion of beer out of the cans behind him <laughs>
3: the generic beer in the white can that just says beer on it
1: <laughs> man love this movie
3: yeah, the, the the kills in this movie are super fun, all of them. Like I say, I love the way they're foreshadowed. I think it's great, um, and that's—I mean—that's all you want from this movie. all it's, its all this. This movie does not promise you anything other than that. It does not deliver you anything other than that. It usually, like the red herring in this movie is almost as ridiculous as the one from Hide and Go Shriek last week. <laughs> it's, <laughs> but you know, it's who gives a shit. Uh, I don't care. I knew, I knew that boyfriend wasn't the killer from about two minutes into the first time I watched this. And I didn't care. I mean, there's, there's even a few times where they're like... There's a few like good filmmaking techniques that happen in this, and it's obvious that the people involved were involved with uh, the Evil Dead movies as well because they reused some, some of the sh- shots and techniques mm. like that. But then there's also things like a couple of fights that happen where you're like, it, it's hard to film a fist fighting scene and I get that you don't have a fight choreographer on staff so I just accept the fact that this looks crappy and I don't care because <laughs> both of these guys that are punching each other will later die in cool ways.
2: Um, I was going to ask something I completely forgot. Yeah, I don't know. Um, So obviously you're a fan Noah, New favorite slasher movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, I really dig it. Not not new favorite, but it's definitely going in the pile of uh, once I get a rewatch. Nice.
2: Well, anything else before we move on?
3: Um, it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to discuss slashers without just going. Remember the time that this kill happened? <laughs> it yeah, it's um, it's it's a really fun movie if you're into this kind of movie. So, I think you know at this point you know what you're getting when you buy a movie like this, and it's great. So. goes far as to call it a great movie from the perspective of if you like these cheesy low budget slashers and it has like faces you would like to see getting killed off yeah
1: fuck you Ted
3: not to mention did we, we did forget to bring up one of the more important points mm-hmm. it has the most talented of the Estevez siblings in it <laughs> which is the sister of Emilio and Charlie Sheen is in this movie <laughs> I forget which girl she is because she's they're a, both very generic oh, characters. But
1: she's the first kill. Is that right? Yeah. How, yeah. how did I not know that was not Estevez?
3: I don't know. You don't pay
1: enough attention to life. I, I do not. That is delightful.
2: Uh, so the director Scott Spiegel,
3: yeah,
1: has worked with the Ramy brothers like forever.
3: Yeah, uh, he, and he was he's he has credits in the Evil Dead movies and stuff, and that's why. Yeah. So you can tell he. Used what he learned on that set, right? Um,
2: he went on to direct Dustal Dawn 2, Texas Blood and, Money,
3: and Hostel Part 3.
2: Hostel Part of 3. So. He at least has done some notable, uh, name movies.
3: Yeah. This movie. I mean, not good movies, but
2: notable. no, no, notable.
3: Yeah, But, yeah, I, no, the, uh, like you, you can see the shots he reuses from Evil Dead. With the, there's that one like I don't know what you call it, like a tracking shot where the camera zooms in. And it's like, yeah, I I know you learned that from the other guy in the movie, but that's fine. It looks cool in this movie. And it looked cool in that movie. So,
1: I I think one of my favorite ones was uh, there's the scene in the hallway where he's looking down in the back door. He sees the doorknob slowly turning. And the camera flips back and it's kind of doing like a slow zoom in and then the uh, the camera's tilting into like a Dutch angle like basically yeah. with the doorknob turning. I don't know so- something about that shot. I was like, man that's really fucking cool. I kind of dig it because it's, it's kind of like cheesy in that uh, Batman 66 kind of way but at the same time it's like, you know, fun and intentional so it's less cheesy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's got a good body count. Good body count for a slasher movie.
2: Yeah, pretty much everybody at the store dies except for, uh, mm. I guess, I guess the boy, the greaser boyfriend, and uh, the main girl.
3: Yeah, they, they let two people live so that those two people can uh, immediately be uh, put in jail for the rest of their lives.
2: Even the bread delivery guy who doesn't show up till the last ten minutes of the movie gets killed.
1: <laughs> That's so fucking great. <laughs> this is your fault for doing
3: your job bread delivery guy
1: it's kinda that is one of the weird uh, serial killer uh, teleport moments in the film though you're like wait how the fuck did he get all the way back around that building out the door like
0: thanks for calling the midnight drive-in no one is here to take your call for info, check out the Midnight Drive In on Twitter at MN In Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling.
2: Uh, two pieces of feedback this week. First, uh, Brian is really trying to earn his enemy of the show status. What are they, what are they emailing, uh What do they
1: email in, Noah? Let's see here. He says, hey, guys, guess I'm about to make another enemy of the show. Uh, but I have to stand on my beliefs. Halloween 3 is awesome. I know, I know, unpopular opinion, but it's great. It's a must watch every Halloween season, along with, of course, Trick or Treat. I mean, I know it has its inherent flaws, such as Tom Atkins' mustache doesn't get to kill any old timey cyborgs, but I'll forgive it. That's that is an pretty- inherent flaw. <sighs> that mustache. Uh, so I'm writing this whole, uh, writing this while on my lunch, and I'm watching this movie called Judgment Day. Ever heard of it? Me either. Uh, but it stars oh. the impeccable talent that is Ice T. The description is as follows: An FBI agent and an ex-con, played by Ice T, hunt for a cult leader holding hostage a scientist whose asteroid-destroying weapon can save the Earth. It also stars Mario Van Peoples, uh, Tommy Lister Jr., and the guy that played... Oh, sorry, Tommy Lister Jr., the guy that played Johnny Cage in Mortal Kombat, and the one and only Coolio. (laughs) Gotta tell you, you, this is amusing. Maybe you should include it in a future episode during your rapper-turned-actor month. As always, (laughs) keep up the great work. That movie (laughs) sounds... Fucking great. Should we do a Judgment
2: Day, Judgment judgment Night?
3: That sounds like a show we would do.
1: (laughs) I'm just saying, Ice-T and Mario Van Peebles? And Coolio? And And Coolio? Coolio? (laughs) We've been spending most of our lives living in a gangster paradise.
2: You may be See, the whitest person that's ever said this. <laughs> <laughs> I,
3: I feel I feel obligated to bring up that I learned a new Coolio fact just today, which I did not know previously, which is that he has apparently signed a contract to release all of his new music directly through Pornhub and has written songs specifically for Pornhub. Wow. So
1: that's, That actually sounds right. You know, <laughs> it? It's, isn't it weird that that actually makes me respect Coolio more than I did before? Oh, no.
3: <laughs> it says something about how low your respect for him was before, but whatever. Uh, I, I found it interesting. And his response one question was like, yeah, well, it's not like I'm going to release albums anymore, so it's not a big deal.
0: <laughs> All right. Fair enough,
2: Coolio. Fair enough. Uh, Noah, Noah did forget to mention that the subject line of this email was Seasons of the Witch is awesome no matter what Doug says.
3: That is
1: 100% the truth.
3: Well, Brian is picking sides in, in this fight and I gotta tell you this is one of those ones where if you pick the other side it's hard to even be on my side on other issues. <laughs> I feel pretty strongly about this one.
1: Uh so. Sounds like, it sounds like, Brian, enemy of the show, you are now only only half me in your corner. <laughs> so take that for what you will. I think <laughs> it makes you awesome. The rest of the world probably does not. Yeah.
3: Stay, stay tuned, by the way, for the other listeners next week when Brian writes in to, to defend uh, Friday the 13th Part 8. When we. <laughs> Get into that argument. Stop talking shit about Jason Takes Man. Damn.
1: That's
3: uh,
2: so terrible.
1: New Blood is the bad one. New Blood.
2: Oh, you such a dirty whore mouth.
3: New Blood is the bad one. one. New Blood. No way, man. New Blood has the best looking Jason. It has <laughs> cool fight scenes in it.
1: And she's psychic, Noah. Oh, yeah. Psychic. Then, then I'm saying the wrong title. Which one am I doing? <laughs> I don't know.
3: I thought it was New Blood. No. Oh, are, are you thinking of a New Beginning?
1: New Beginning. Thank you. Okay.
3: Yeah. We'll allow that. <laughs> I, I, I can concede New Beginning not being a good movie. What's I, What's, I, what's,
1: know, what's I, that killer's name? Roy. <laughs> Who gets killed by a guy <laughs> named Roy? <laughs>
3: Great name. He, he like Jason Voorhees,
1: worked... and you switch him out for
3: Roy.
2: <laughs> Roy the EMT.
1: Jesus.
3: He, He wears a hockey mask with blue on it instead of red, and no one in the movie notices that it's not the real hockey mask. (laughs) Wait a minute. I know. I can tell the difference. Dumb fuckers.
2: Even Tommy Jarvis, who's fought Jason before, doesn't even know. Right. Yeah. Ah, fucker.
3: This is also the point of the podcast where I point out that in Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason takes over a boat and drives it until he finds the other boat that he's looking for. So the deleted scene from that movie is Jason cruising <laughs> down the river, the river that did not exist in previous movies, riding the driving the boat out there, wind blowing through his hair. I hope he has a beer in his hand because it sounds like a beautiful scene.
1: Wearing <laughs> <laughs> a, a little captain's hat because that, <laughs> that makes it better.
3: Why not? <laughs> He's wearing a parody Jason mask in and he's wearing like the mask that the kid bought at the, at the store where you buy a mask to dress up as Jason and Jason's like, Oh, that is just like mine. I'll put that on.
2: Uh. <laughs> Do you think if he has a beer in his hand, that does he pull the hockey mask up to drink it? Or does he just pour it, pour it through the holes in the front of the mask and drink it that way? Oh, it's hard he to most,
1: say. he most certainly pours it through the holes in the mask. <laughs> that is not even a question to be asked.
3: Well, I've definitely drank in a beer both ways while wearing a Jason mask, so I don't know. It works better one way, but it's funnier the other way, so what are you gonna do?
2: <laughs> uh... Uh, so a friend of the show, Kent wrote in said, Hey guys, in the initiation slash hide and go shriek episode, uh, you were discussing the loose theme ideas that could tie two very different films together. It inspired me to come up with some. So here we go. These are, these are Kent's ideas for loose themes to tie movies together. Uh, Texas right. Chainsaw Massacre and Forrest Gump, characters in wheelchairs.
1: Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> Acceptable.
2: Uh, near dark, and when Harry met Sally, scenes at a diner.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. is there a diner in Near Dark? Yeah, uh, the bar scene.
1: Don't they don't they stop and like eat at a place? Oh
3: no, yeah, like the 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 dad and the daughter go to a diner for sure.
1: Yeah, okay,
3: yeah. all out.
2: Uh, Cujo and Air Bud, lovable yeah <laughs> 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 uh, and this may be the most controversial one: Psycho and Schindler's List, memorable shower scenes.
3: Oh,
1: that's dark. <laughs> <laughs> All, well although well retcon, clearly Cujo would need to be uh, teamed up with uh, Beethoven, more more oh. time appropriate, and they're both Saint Bernards. Good point. Good Double point. level. Uh, Kent says
2: that's a whole month right right there feel free to use any or all of these horrible suggestions thanks Kent
1: is it it weird that my biggest complaint of that would be I really don't want to have to watch when Harry met Sally again
3: (laughs) well you're wrong because your biggest complaint is that we covered Cujo already so that's, we that's can't not, redo it.
1: That's not my biggest complaint. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, it contradicts, it contradicts the policy of the podcast to not recover movies that were done here or on the last horror cast. Which, which you guys violate all the time. Whatever yeah, something so. you something you want to watch. Yeah.
2: yeah, but we were on the last horror cast, so we kind of...
3: It's, it's up to us. <laughs> you guys know that Technically, this week's episode is a follow-up to like one of the first Last Horrorcast episodes before you even joined, Brian. We did a grocery store-themed episode back in the day. Oh, really? So this is technically a follow-up to that, yeah. We did one that was sharks in a grocery store and aliens in a grocery store.
2: Nice. That's a nice callback. So, I think listeners should follow Kent's advice and send us uh, your horrible suggestions for... <laughs> Loose, uh, Loosely themed episode ideas.
3: Oh, yeah. Feel free to pass us those on uh, Instagram, through Facebook, or by email, however, because we need more and more of those bad, bad ideas. <laughs> and you know we're going to end up doing one of them, because one <laughs> of them will be too funny to ignore.
2: <laughs> I mean, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Forrest Gump with characters in wheelchairs. That's a pretty good suggestion. It is. <laughs> uh. All right. anybody watch anything since last week? No. Uh,
1: no. I did. Uh, I watched the uh, the new Zac Efron Ted Bundy movie. Okay. Extremely
2: wicked, shockingly evil and vile.
3: Yeah, that one whose name yeah. I will never be able to remember. No, it's way too no. Long. But but we all watched it, right? So we can go yeah. ahead and have a discussion about it.
1: Uh, I thought it was thoroughly meh. It it. Pretty much entirely I don't I don't know. There's a lot of things I don't like about it. Like the whole movie almost focuses on all of the attractive and good things about Ted Bundy <laughs> instead of yep. about the fact that he was a fucking psychopathic fucking murderer. It, it's almost like the movie was going well, sure he killed a bunch of people, but look at how charming he was. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah, I found a that, fucking dude. weird message for a movie. <laughs>
3: Well, not only that, but the way that it's played is like, if you don't know who Ted Bundy is, like if you just don't know that guy and you don't know the true story, you could easily believe that this is an innocent guy being set up based on the way this movie is done. Mm-hmm. And that's like when you're, te- when you're dealing with real life characters, it's offensive to be, to portray him in a way where he might be innocent. Yeah. Like he's fucking not okay. Like Ted Bundy does not deserve our sympathy, and this is the same guy that did. um The director is the same guy that did the documentary series that we talked about a while ago, mm-hmm. the, the Confessions with a Killer or whatever it was yeah, called. The Ted Bundy tapes. And, yeah. yeah, and my, uh, I, I had the the complaint when we discussed that one that is here. It's like if you don't show us how horrible and evil he is, and you only talk about the cool shit he did then he comes across as like heroic mm-hmm. and it's like, I don't like when you only show a guy and we, we we're not told he's guilty. And all you see is that he fucking trained himself to jump out of a court window by practicing, by jumping off his bed. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> you know what I mean? If that was, a, if that was a, a fake character in a movie or if it was a guy who was actually in jail illegitimately, that'd be a cool story. So that's why you have to tell us he's terrible and then you show us that so that he doesn't come across as a hero for escaping from jail. Same thing with the second escape. You're like, well, yeah, that's freaking neat. I'm glad he pulled that off, but I'm not glad a murderer pulled it off and really killed more people. So don't tell me the story in a way that makes it seem cool.
1: Right. And and the only thing I can say I liked about it is I liked that – the movie was kind of a what, what do they call him now a B versus C movie or whatever where technically if you think about it the main character of the movie was his wife yeah and and it's supposed to be the story of her arc in which Ted Bundy plays a significant part in her story but I don't once again I don't even think they do that all that well
3: no because no. they spend way too much time with Ted Bundy away from her right like mm-hmm. there's an interesting story to tell about her as a victim of ted bundy because like she it's essentially like an abusive relationship type scenario where she's hooked on him and he's out there doing these things and he keeps calling her and stuff she turns to the sixth sense kid i don't know why it's so and it's like it, it, it's it, there, there's an interesting story there but in that then you ted bundy has to be a very minor character and you spend all of the movie time with her but I that's know. how it works
1: I don't know if you guys are true crime people or not. Did did something happen to her after the Ted Bundy stuff? Hey. I'm not that I'm aware no. of. No. Yeah, because I don't, I don't know if you guys noticed, but the end of that movie insinuates that uh, what's his face that the uh, that the boyfriend, the the Sixth Sense kid. That something's yeah. up with him. Because if you remember, at the, at the beginning of the movie, whenever he walks in, he's like, you know, I've seen that car parked across the street X amount of times. If you're paying attention at the very end of the movie, whenever she leaves and he picks her up, that's his car. So he's been, like, stalking them. Through whole movie. Yeah.
2: No, I didn't notice that at all.
1: Yeah. And I don't know if I and once again, and if if. I almost thought for a second. I was like, "Are they trying to insinuate that her fucking boyfriend committed all these murders and framed Ted Bundy for it?" Because that's fucking insane. That doesn't make any fucking sense.
2: No, uh, no, I didn't. I didn't pick up on that whatsoever.
1: I. The, Don't. It, yeah, what I what I ended up boiling it down to is I thought maybe they inferred that maybe he's just a stalker, and that basically she's going from a relationship with one crazy person to just a relationship with another crazy person who's just a different type of crazy.
3: Well, no, yeah, I I, think, I can see that argument even without having picked up on the car thing, because I think it's super weird that like she he just kind of immediately starts moving in on this girl when like everybody fucking knows that she was living with this guy and now that guy's an on the run serial killer. Like right. it's very odd that um that he would just kind of behave the way he does towards her in the circumstances. Um and I I think the the implication that she has bad taste in men and just this is a different a different type of bad guy is is clear. I also really liked her character though. I thought they did a really good job of portraying her like when she believes that Ted's innocent at the beginning, she's going through the guilt of knowing that she helped get his name on the list kind of thing of potential suspects. And then her realizing that he probably did do it and having that breakdown and trying to separate her life from his, but it's always more complicated than it seems. I think they do a good job of that. I think the actress is really good. Mm
1: -hmm. I suppose so. I think it's weird that it gets to a couple points where she has ample amount of evidence that it is him. And and he's still like, hey, I didn't do it. And she's like, yeah, okay, you didn't do it. And it's like,
3: ew, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. But in the real world, like, how much would it take for somebody to convince you that your girlfriend was a serial killer?
1: I don't. Uh, it, for Noah, it, it, not. Very hard. Hard. I was gonna say just evidence. I'm 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 a pretty skeptical person. You provide me with legitimate evidence, and I will fucking believe you. <laughs>
3: yeah, I don't know. I think it's because all the evidence is in many ways like circumstantial right and there's always these little flaws like the car at one point gets described as the wrong color which is easy enough for an eyewitness to give a slightly wrong description of a vehicle but you can see how that would be just enough to go well why would it's obviously just a different guy that happens to look a lot like this and is named Ted and drives the same kind of car but in a different color like I think it'd be easy to justify that
1: I don't know I suppose it's it's one of those things that, yeah, the the case was circumstantial, but it's circumstantial in the way of, okay, there's a target with a bullet hole in it and, the, and the, you take out the bullet and the bullet matches a gun and everything about the gun and the type of bullets that the gun use and even the serial number of a package of bullets that the guy bought and all of that kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, well, but there are 12 other boxes with that particular serial number, so perhaps somebody else happened to have the same (laughs) run of serial number and shot the target with a gun similar to the one sitting on that table and then just took their gun and went, but the odds of that are pretty astronomical.
3: Uh, Okay, but in the real world, this character had a lot of trouble being convinced that her boyfriend was the killer. That seems to have been covered by other documentaries. I I can't think of the specific evidence off the top of my head, but that felt very true to life to me. Um, And I think it is just maybe not everybody is as objective as you. Maybe people are more blinded by their love for other people. Also, I think that maybe next week I'll be sending you evidence to prove that your girlfriend is a serial killer in order to try to drive you (laughs) insane, as is always part of my life goal. I, I don't think that would drive me insane.
2: <laughs> so no oh, is So <laughs> all right. Gee yeah.
3: she,
1: listen, she's she's tiny and lovely, and if she's killing people and getting away with it, I'm not even mad, I'm impressed. <laughs> like it would have to it would have to be poison and if and if it's poison, she's already got me. Like <laughs> it's just a matter of time now. <laughs>
2: uh yeah i was all telling right. like, i was telling a coworker about the movie i was like i thought zach efron did a fantastic job the movie is all over the fucking place yeah so yeah i don't know it could have i feel like it could have been better i don't it feels like they were trying to set up the movie like well i mean there's a possibility he could be innocent but then at the very end we finally see him hit like a flashback of him hitting that girl over the head with a golf club. And I don't know if that's supposed to be like a surprise. Like, Oh my God, they finally confirmed it or what? It's
3: weird. Cause it's like, who, I guess like, who's the movie for,
2: yeah. it's for
3: people who are very interested in serial killers to the point where they're going to follow this true story movie and watch it, but they don't know who Ted Bundy is. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's the audience you're shooting for. It doesn't make any sense.
1: I'd say there's a weird disconnect because there's two types of people that are super into, like, true crime and serial killers. There's the type of people who are kind of into the minutiae of it and, like, how crimes are solved and all that kind of stuff. Great. Those people are fine. There's also the people that are just super fucking into serial killers, and those people freak me the fuck out. I just don't... (laughs) that type of ideation of the worst of humankind I just don't I don't fucking understand it it's the exact same as somebody being like yeah I'm just I'm real super into Hitler you know I like to collect Hitler memorabilia and you know go to Hitler conventions and it's like "Mm, no no don't do that (laughs) that's bad yeah I don't know well, and my problem is this movie appears to be an awful lot like a movie made for those people.
3: And yeah, again, it's also it's, bad. We're all getting back to the same thing, which is that the movie portrays Ted Bundy in way too positive a light. And he should not be portrayed that way. You can portray him as charming, but you have to offset that with portraying him as a monster as well. And they avoid portraying him as a monster through most of the movie. That's a real problem for me because you, you're not supposed to idolize these guys. You're supposed to. It's okay to have a curiosity. It's not okay to idolize them. I don't like it. Um, I do think the movie gets fantastic in the last like half hour during the trial sequences. Well, that's because they bring
1: in John Malkovich to talk shit to him. (laughs) Yeah, and talk shit to him in the most gentle way possible, which is just fantastic.
3: Yeah, and if you like, if you go back and, I mean, they do it at the end of the movie, but you can go back and look at more on in other documentaries or on YouTube or wherever, a lot of the lines of dialogue are just, like, actual things that were said in that courtroom, and you're like, holy shit, when you see, like, John Malcolm just delivering those lines, you're like, oh, that you're not supposed to talk that way in a courtroom, right? How come these people aren't being mature, responsible, professional adults? I thought that's what happened in court, but I guess not. Yeah. Not in Florida.
1: And so... During the trial, I was kind of expecting to see like the scene that I consider to be one of the craziest fucking things that happens in the whole Ted Bundy story, where they let him cross-examine one of his own victims, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, is, which is just the most solidly fucked thing that's ever happened in a courtroom. I don't understand how you could just allow that kind of a travesty of justice to happen. And in the fact that once again they cut that out of that movie, they did not show that, and I was like, I don't understand how you don't show that because I don't, I, I don't know if other people view it that way, but I, as far as I'm concerned, in the whole story, that's the craziest fucking thing of everything that happens. Mm.
2: Yeah, that would have been pretty cool to see.
3: Yeah, and I mean, because because they, they give him his again, they give him his hero moments. That moment where they're reading the charges out to him and he is, in that moment, Ted Bundy is a victim. You're not supposed to treat prisoners that way, even if they are pieces of shit. Um, So they give him that moment and he's making a spectacle in front of the press and all that, and it's like, okay. But then you turn around and you show the horrific moment of him doing this terrible thing as well because that's how you offset it when you want to portray a serial killer that is charismatic and likable in certain circumstances. But they just don't I don't know. They, they don't make him evil enough. I don't know why the movie's called like the big long title that it's called when that's not actually what they show you on screen.
1: Did you guys find it's weird, and I don't know if this is a true story or not, that the second time he gets arrested he's in a Volkswagen Beetle again? Instead waiting, yeah, he either went and got his car, or he like saw another one and he's like, no, I really like these cars. <laughs> <laughs> you know
3: what part they, like? I want to know if that's factually accurate or not, because I don't recall if it's true or not from the real world. Um, but the other, uh, the other thing I want to see... That they skipped in this movie is like the part where he refuses to provide his name. I know, right? But,
2: I was but waiting then applies for,
3: for bail anyway. Because how much of an asshole that you, you can't make him not be an asshole in that scene. I don't see why I should have to give you my name just to get bail, Your Honor. Uh, <laughs> you should let me out and assume I'll come back under my own recognizance based on me refusing to give you my name and date of birth kind of thing. That's the kind of stuff they should have put in that would have helped you look at. Like, okay, his charm can't get him everywhere. Like that would have been the point where it's like he's relying too heavily on that, and there's one of his character flaws. Mm -hmm. But again, anytime there's a character flaw in Ted Bundy, they edit it out to make him the hero of this movie.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's problematic. I don't, I don't, I don't. Yeah, I guess I just don't understand what they're going for. Yeah,
3: overall, like I'm not a fan of this movie, and it's because, like, if this was a, if this was a fictional story. Just somebody made this up and you do this whole thing where you're not sure throughout the movie whether he's guilty or innocent and then the reveal comes at the end, like holy shit he actually did all these things and I've been rooting for him this whole time that's a cool twist in filmmaking mm-hmm. it doesn't work when you're telling a true story No, it's, it's disrespectful to the real life victims and it's disrespectful to the audience to expect us to buy into the idea that Ted Bundy might be innocent when we fucking know who Ted Bundy is
2: yeah, specifically doing it about one of the most notorious American serial killers of the last century is not yeah. not the not the story to throw that twist into.
1: Yeah. hot hot take from the midnight drive-in. Don't make fluff pieces about murderers. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Controversial statement on our end here.
2: What did everybody think is of, of uh, Zach Efron though?
1: I mean, he I think his it was fine. Acting. Yeah, I thought acting
3: I thought he was fine through most of the movie I thought at the end when the movie got better so did he mm-hmm. like I think in the, in the courtroom scenes where he's interacting with Malkovich and Sheldon from Big Bang Theory is there for some reason I think Zach Garfun really stepped up his game and he was very very good um, but he was uh, just okay throughout most of the rest of the
2: movie yeah That's
3: but, which is still I mean you know pretty good throughout most of the movie and then excellent at the last half or last half hour or whatever it was right that's better than i can say about most actors it's so really, a huge compliment
1: i mean and really the the scene where the wife finally comes to try to get that final closure and get him to admit to killing someone to her and where he writes hacksaw
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know and his breath on the thing and it's just it's the look on his face where you kind of for for the first time in the movie you actually see like the serial killer mask slide off, yeah. Where he's always all smiling and happy and then all of a sudden he kind of goes deadpan a little bit and you're like oh shit, <laughs> like mm-hmm. there he is. There's the there's the monster. You know you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. They just needed more of that, but yeah. but the acting the acting right there was so good. Especially since it's basically two opposing reaction shots, just kind of going back and forth.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We all seem to be about on the same page. <laughs>
1: yep. I'd say I'd say skip it. Don't give them any money. But it was a Netflix original, so they already got paid. So, <laughs> like, what you gonna do? Netflix really screwed the pooch on that one.
3: Well, I blame the director because the problems are the same with this movie as they were with his documentary on the same subject matter so right, it's that guy's love affair for Ted Bundy who just he's it's the problem
2: the same guy that did the Paradise Lost movies yeah so I'm kind of surprised that
3: I don't know well cause when he did the same thing but it was to help get innocent people out of jail it made you feel a lot better about what he was doing yeah you know when he, when he's doing it for a guy that's clearly guilty, then that changes it.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so after watching Intruder and being like, "Hey, rolled the dice on a slasher movie," and uh, and threw some bricks, let's roll these dice again because I got to catch up on some Joe Bob anyway. And I watched uh, Madman. Yeah which is also a slasher I'd never seen before. And I got to listen to Joe Bob talk. So even if the movie was bad, it would be fun. Yeah. And I actually kind of dug it. I mean, it's not the best. It, it falls into that category of like, you know, it's it's fine. It's a slasher movie. It's like cheesy and weird in a lot of ways. But, you know, it's a dude fucking people up with an axe. And that's that's always pretty dope. Yeah.
2: I've only ever seen it like in a party type setting where we we're kinda just making fun of it. So I'm not really like a huge fan of it. But again, the sole purpose was to sit around, drink some beer, and talk about how much of a piece of shit this movie was.
1: Right. I kinda of dug the look of uh Madman Mars because he's kind of like, you know, the the super evil redneck. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I dug it. Doug, have you ever seen that one?
3: No, it's been on my watch list forever, um, so I'll get to it one day, I think. But I think it's a. Uh, everyone tells me the same thing. It's just a slasher, and it's like okay, but sometimes I want to watch just a slasher.
1: So. Yeah, I mean, not not just a slasher, a slasher with a big redneck guy fucking people up with an axe.
3: Yeah, but that's not exactly a small percentage of slashers. <laughs> yeah,
1: but. Most most of the ones that involve an axe-wielding maniac fall on the pretty good side.
3: Yeah. An axe is always a fun weapon, because it, it's not too hard to make a kill look good with an axe, even with low budget, right? And like, you do that cutaway, and you can, it always looks kind of neat when a guy swings an axe up over his head.
1: Right. And, for some reason, it never feels uh, derivative, like other stuff does, for some reason. Like, you, if you make a slasher movie and the guy pulls out a machete, you're like, ah, fucking ripping off, you know, Jason. And then if they pull out a butcher's knife, you're like, nah, fucking Michael Myers, nah. But they pull out an axe, you're like, well, yeah, well, anybody could use an axe. Yeah. But yeah, Joe Bob gave it three stars, so his his recommendation means a lot more than mine. So <laughs> got access to Shutter, check it out. What I noticed in this episode—it's so weird because I, you know, I've watched so much Joe Bob. Uh, his little lizard that he has—he's got a bearded dragon sitting in his tank next to him. I—I don't think I ever realized that the bearded dragon's cage is a perfect replica of the inside of the trailer, <laughs> where it's got the leather chair and stuff in it.
2: The funny thing is, I think I've noticed that when he's inside the inside of the cage is the outside of the trailer.
1: Oh, is that right?
2: And then whenever he's outside the cage is the inside of the trailer.
1: Because that's, that's so fucking clever. It's ridiculous. Did you watch anything else? Um, I watched the first two episodes of uh, what's it called? Haters Get Back or something like that. Oh. Which, which is a weird Netflix original show.
2: Based off a YouTuber? Is that what it is? Yeah, isn't it that chick with like all the lipstick or whatever?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, She's famous
2: for being a YouTube character.
1: Okay, well, that's pretty much what her character is in the show. The only thing I can compare it to is it's it's Napoleon Dynamite with a female main character if she was less likable and more (laughs) cringeworthy.
2: But is she like Napoleon Dynamite in like a Napoleon Dynamite setting, or is she like Napoleon Dynamite brought into technically the real world?
1: Well, I don't know, because it's kind of almost Napoleon Dynamite a Napoleon Dynamite setting, because it you know, it's not just her. Because mm. you'd expect her to be weird and you know, cause she like thinks she's awesome and stuff and talented even though she's terrible. But then she's got a an uncle that lives with them just like Napoleon Dynamite (laughs) only (laughs) instead of being uh, an asshole who only thinks of himself he's like trying to vicariously make her famous so that he can live through her fame kind of and he's a complete tool and then the mom is like this empty shell of a human being who just does anything that her daughter tells her to do (laughs) And then she has a younger sister who is the balancing force that plays like the straight man. She's a completely normal teenager who's just trying to like live a normal life with these fucking idiots ruining her life. Like the first episode, she comes in and they're like eating breakfast and she goes, did you guys notice the lights? And they're like, what about them? And she's like, they're on and they're like oh yeah they are how'd you do that and she's like i paid the power bill you're supposed to pay the power bill like i am a child but yeah it's weird
2: uh i would say seems like a weird show for you to watch
1: well i was just looking for something funny and i and i thought it might be funny and it kind of was but like I said it's it's almost so cringeworthy that like I can't laugh at it because I'm like oh this makes me uncomfortable the, the older I get people that remind me of being young and awkward it makes me more and more uncomfortable I don't want to remember that being young and awkward is awful <laughs> like that's that's my horror movie Freaky Friday to me is a horror movie I have to switch like bodies with a child and go through all of the horror of being young again
2: yeah, but you're old now, and you realize that's just, all that shit you worry about was just bullshit, so you could just go back through life knowing that.
1: Yeah, but here's the thing. Even if you could go back in time and know that it was all bullshit, nobody else that you would associate with it would know that it's bullshit, and so you would just, once again, you'd be trapped in the, the tornado of bullshit <laughs> that is like high school, you know what I mean? <laughs>
3: I'll take it a step further and say it's actually not bullshit because the adult world that was supposed to be the real world is way more like high school than it was supposed to be. <laughs> the only reason I didn't kill myself in high school is because people kept telling me the real world would be better. And then you get into like an office setting and everyone's gossiping about each other. And there's cool kids that won't sit with you at lunch. And you're like, what the fuck, why is this just like high school? <laughs> this is <laughs> what happened to that real world everyone kept telling me about wait, if I work hard, then I'll be rewarded for my efforts and succeed, right? <laughs> no. no, that's not even true! Fuck! It was all a
1: lie. It was all a misleading lie. No, as it turns out, being rich and attractive and well-spoken, those are the keys to success.
3: Yeah, yeah. Just being born into a lucky situation is the most is the best way to get ahead in life. Who would have thunk it? That worked, that worked back then and it works now, too.
2: Uncle uh, Aunt Becky knew that.
3: She did. <laughs> now I bet Becky's going to jail, even though really there's people committing way worse crimes every day, and just doing it because she's famous and rich. But
2: but we got to make examples of these people, Doug. That's fine. All right. Anything else? now? That was all. What about you, Doug? Uh,
3: I didn't watch any other movies. Um, I did go down a weird path. I was listening to a podcast. That started talking about Gigi Allen, mm. who I'd never really researched before in any way.
1: Suck my shit, eat my
3: diarrhea. Yeah, see, I didn't know that part. <laughs> Still,
1: hey, I, just- <laughs> I, I fucking love Gigi Allen.
3: So I started, like, I, I went down a weird thing where I started looking at YouTube clips of Gigi Allen. I'm like, this is every bit as fucked up. And then I stumbled across, like, an old episode of Jerry Springer where he was the primary guest. Oh, Jesus. So I watched that whole thing. <laughs> and I, the weird thing is, like, partway through watching it, I realized I remember seeing this episode of Jerry Springer back when it was, like, relatively new. And at the time, thinking the guy was full of shit, not realizing that a lot of the stuff he was saying was actually happening in the real world. Like, I'm Like, oh, like. That stuff about like attacking a woman. like yeah, He did go to jail for that. Now that I know that that's true, that episode <laughs> of Jerry Springer is way more meaningful than I expected.
1: Upon, upon <laughs> researching Gigi Allen uh, per hour, how many times did you see Gigi Allen's dick?
3: Well, luckily... You have, you have to break it down most per hour,
1: otherwise it's uncountable.
3: Yeah, but you t- uh, most of the stuff that's on YouTube, which is where I did my primary research, was blurred. So I didn't actually see his dick very often. Still more than I wanted to. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's a pretty fucked up story. And like the day he died where he was basically saying he was going to kill himself during a show and then didn't. And the cops showed up and everything. There's like 13 minutes of footage of him like running away from the cops, running down the streets. I think he's in New York City wearing like boxers, pair of boots and like that's it (laughs) and trying to blend in with the crowd like as if no one's going to notice him (laughs) and then he just like he ended up dying later that night and it's like well that's that's fucking weird all that shit is fucking it's like as bad as I heard it was it's like oh that was all true I just kind of assumed it was exaggerated like punk rock nonsense but now that I've seen footage of it I'm like oh oh my god that's fucked
1: up I would I would argue that the truth is way more fucked up than you are led to believe cuz you're like, "Oh, GG G. Allen, I heard he did all these fucked up things." Ha, ha 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 ha. And and then you actually find out and you're like, "Oh my god, GG G. Allen did
3: all these fucked up things."
1: It oh, is. God, just... why do people listen to his music?
3: Well, I and I can completely understand the listening to his music part. Uh, it's like, this shit where people would, like, voluntarily just fight him in the middle of concerts. <laughs> like, I don't know why you want to get punched in the head by your favorite musician. I can't get my head around that logic. Um, and, like, this guy was so fucked. I mean, there must have been something wrong with the guy. Because, like, who knows if he hit in the head when he was a kid or what. But, like, you'd see him in these, like, interviews on relatively mainstream shows. And he's got, like, these cuts on his face. And they're just self-inflicted cuts on his face. And I'm like, why are you voluntarily cutting your face? And why is nobody stepping in to help this guy if he's this fucked up? It's weird. It's one of those weird things where if you're an adult in our society, you can get away with doing the dumbest shit as long as you don't hurt somebody else. they will just be like, yeah, I would've let that go.
1: I think. I think the whole trick is like, um, especially the hardcore punk scene. Like punk rock is all about these. Unedited honest um expressions of self, if if that makes sense. It's all about like being just brutally fucking honest about everything. And and Gigi Allen <laughs> was grotesquely <laughs> honest. And and the oh, yeah. problem was everybody knew he was grotesquely honest because he was showing you like the darkest, grossest part of his inner self, and it was really, really dark and gross. <laughs>
3: yeah Oh. this was pretty fucked up and in retrospect I kind of wish that had never existed but there you go now you've got, <laughs> that's
1: the, now, that's now you've the got, other
3: thing I spent my time watching
1: now, now you've got the image of Gigi Allen's fat belly hanging over his creepy little penis burned into your retinas for the rest of time
3: yeah the decision to perform shows wearing nothing but ladies' panties is an interesting one from my perspective. Um, not, not sure why he did that. The other thing that's super weird is the fact that, like, because we have this footage of him from the pre-cell phone era, so there was just somebody filming this, like, with an actual like camera that you had to insert your VHS tape into, and then if you wanted to make copies of it, you had to take that out later and tie two VCRs to the same TV and run them. <laughs> but it's like. Okay, so we've got this footage and it's like it's these weird fucking like concerts that are like in the middle of the day and they're in these clubs that have very few people in them. And it's like how is this even a thing? How does this even exist? I don't get it. Like the whole thing is weird to me that like people are making a living or even attempting to make a living while playing to like twelve people and two in the afternoon on a Tuesday. It's fucking weird. I don't know. No. Uh, anyways. Not really a a movie, which is... uh, No, we are supposed to hear talk about movies, but I I didn't. (laughs) What did you watch this week, Brad?
2: (laughs) I actually watched a lot of
3: stuff, so... Okay, good.
2: Um, I watched a new movie called Mercy Black. Um, So, do you remember those Slenderman killings? Two girls killed their other friend Yeah. Slenderman told them to?
3: Yeah.
2: So basically, take that premise and change Slenderman to this character called Mercy Black, which is like a woman spirit or monster, or whatever. Okay. And then uh, spend uh, a lot of your a lot of time in the movie wondering if that actually if it was all maybe true. So this girl gets out of an insane asylum after being there for like fifteen years because her and another girl tried to kill one of their friends because Mercy Black told them to, and that if they killed her, that she would essentially become um, corporeal. Like, essentially, if they sacrifice her, then she could become flesh and blood. Okay. Um, so, you know, she comes home to live with her sister. She's, you know, gone through all this therapy with her therapist, played by Janine Garofalo, which surprised me um and then it's her just kind of reconnecting to her sister and just the world in general like she doesn't she was like 13 when she went in so she has never really dealt with the outside world this whole, whole time so there's stuff where she's like okay i gotta look for a job and goes to like she's like where where are the class- classifieds where do i look for a job at and you know she doesn't really understand that you just look on the computer now for job type stuff um so i don't know some of the, some of that stuff was a little annoying but whatever but a lot of it deals with her interacting with her nephew who's a young kid who now starts saying that he that Mercy Black talks to him. So then she starts like freaking out, saying, oh, but it's not real. It's not real. But has she maybe projected this thing onto him and all this stuff? So it just kind of goes back and forth and she starts sort of going back uh, and trying to figure out like how everything went down when they were younger. Because she says she doesn't remember a lot of it. So just, she does some investigating. Mercy Black may or may not show up at various points throughout the movie. And then, you know, your mystery unfolds. Um, It was pretty decent. I enjoyed it. Uh, You know, it's got its its own problems when it kind of lays out everything towards the end. But a lot of movies have that, so you just kind of either roll with it or you don't. Type of thing, but if someone told me like, "Oh, I was really into it," and then I didn't like the ending, I'd be like, "Yeah, I can understand that," but you know, in general, it didn't really bother me a whole lot. So, um, but I'd recommend it. I thought it was good. The atmosphere is really good. The build-up and everything. So,
3: sounds interesting at least.
2: Yeah, um, and you remember Dwight from uh, The Walking Dead? the dude that had like half of his face burned. Right. He is a, uh, a guy who's uh, remodeling his sister's house. So he's like hanging around from throughout, throughout most of the movie. So, but it was kind of weird because I'm like, he looks familiar. I can't place it. And it was because half of his face isn't burnt. So it's like, threw <laughs> me off.
3: it's kind of funny.
2: <laughs> um, and then to prepare for the upcoming, John Wick Chapter Three. Uh, I rewatched John Wick One and Two. Um, still fun, still a good time. Uh, Amanda had never seen the second one; she'd seen the first one. But then, like we re- we rewatched it, and she's like, "I'm glad we watched this because I didn't remember
3: a lot of this stuff." But
2: yeah, John Wick kicking ass. If you're a fan of the John Wick movies, obviously, yeah,
3: those movies, I, I don't feel like they're gonna. Like they'll age perfectly because they just deliver exactly what they promise. it's just yeah he's gonna beat the shit out of all these people get that mm-hmm. yep there we go yeah nothing more complicated
2: and i feel like that whole thing is set up perfectly by like john likuizamo in the first movie when they like drive john wick's car in and he's like where'd you get that car oh yeah we stole it from this john wick guy and he's just like no get out <laughs> get out of here and then like punches the kid in the face and then, like, his mobster dad calls him later. He's like, why did you hit my son? Because uh, he stole John Wick's car and killed his dog. And the guy's just like, oh. And then just hangs up the phone. Like, enough sense sort of situation.
1: You stole his fucking car. You killed his fucking <laughs> dog. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. So I just love, like how his very name just like everybody just like freaks the fuck out so i think it's a lot of fun Uh, i feel like the second one was even better than i remember like it's still nowhere near as good as the first one i feel like that first one is just a perfect storm of a movie um yeah yeah i'm excited to see chapter three i mean it looks like it takes place exactly like after the end of the second one so it's gonna be interesting
3: yeah, I, yeah, I, th- I think you're going to get diminishing returns at some point with John Wick. There's going to be a time oh, where it's yeah. like, like, why would I ever watch any of these? Like even now, like I think I could see myself watching one and two before three. Before I watch three, but mm-hmm. I, if I was going to go back and just randomly watch one, it would always be part one. I can't see myself yeah. going back and be part two. Not that I had any real problems with two. It's just mm-hmm. one is what I, it is. It's like see, the perfect storm was a good way to describe it.
1: I would say two is only about half as good as one and it's still a good movie which mm. just says how fucking awesome that first one is.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think Keanu Reeves has said that this is they're planning on this one being the last one because they think it would be ridiculous just to keep going with them. So hopefully that's true. That they just kind of have an end in mind and they're just going to you know, be done with it after after this one. But sometimes that uh that money talks, so you just gotta see what happens, I guess. Um, I watched an 80s cockroach movie called The Nest.
3: Okay. I like how you said 80s cockroach movie, like that's just a, a subgenre we're all familiar with. It's just
2: yeah. yeah. Yeah, sure. Um so there is a Roving horde of cockroaches that apparently can just, as soon as they start biting you, will kill you, and then they'll just devour you like piranhas. Awesome.
3: So uh, it's, you know, you recommend, right? Like we recommend. Here? <laughs>
2: uh, <laughs> so they're supposed they're supposed to be on this like island. I'm assuming it's supposed to be like the the northeast or something. Uh, you know, how on Wings, like they lived on that island, and they had to like fly back and forth for supplies or whatever. It's kind of the setting they're trying to set
1: up.
3: All right, I do understand the concept, but no, I don't get the Wings reference.
1: Oh, sorry. <laughs> totally uh, made Tony Shalhoub's career. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it's just in Wings they 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 had their own airline company, so those they were constantly flying back and forth for whatever reason. Anyway, sure. So basically they're saying like, you know, everybody's kind of stuck on this island and it's supposed to be an island. Although in, so, in the sign says population 700. So it's supposed to be a small town. All right. There is some shots on the main street of town that you could tell that like, are those houses in the background? Are those the houses in the Hollywood Hills? Why would a town of 700 have all these fancy rich people Hollywood Hills type houses?
3: Well, if there's 700 billionaires living in the same
2: spot. (laughs) That would make sense if everybody else wasn't just, like, blue-collar people throughout this movie. Uh, So fucked up and weird. Um, But anyway, of course, a section of land was bought by some... uh, I don't even know if they even say like it's bought by some company, but I don't even know if they say like what the company does. But essentially, they've uh, they've made these cockroaches through genetic blah 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 bullshit, and uh, they've they've escaped, of course. <laughs> and there's this, this this scene where this dog is chained up to this trailer, like he you know the dog like lives outside, and. You can tell they're just, like, dragging a cable through all this tall grass to get it to, like, move. So it looks like this swarm of cockroaches is just coming at them. And then, of course, they hit the dog and then smash cut to another scene. And then come back, and the dog is literally just, like, a bloody skeleton. Awesome. So so that's pretty much, like, the setup. That's It's people like, what is that? And then all of a sudden, like, oh, my God, they're killing me. then we never see those people again. Uh, So you pretty much get what you expect out of that. Like, it's okay. It's not great, but it has has its moments. So if you're in the mood for an 80s cockroach movie, (laughs) The the Nest would be the one to go for.
3: (laughs) Of all the 80s cockroach movies, that's the one you would pick. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to make a note of that just in case it ever comes (laughs) up.
2: uh then the last thing i watched uh is a movie i actually heard about it on a podcast and i hadn't heard of it it just came out last year and i had not heard of it and they played part of the trailer and then sort of described a little bit of what it was about and i'm like that sounds amazing so i picked it up or it's actually on netflix so i came home and watched it like that night It's it's a movie called small town crime Starring John Hawks, who is an awesome actor.
3: Oh, I think I've almost watched this a bunch of times.
2: Well, I'm going to say you should probably watch it. Okay. Um, someone compared it in this podcast, compared the tone of it, not the story, but just sort of the feel of the movie, a lot like Cold in July, if anybody's watched yep. that, yep. which is also an awesome movie. Yes, it is. So John Hawks is like a sort of a disgraced cop. Um, Some incident happened, which they, you know, you eventually get all the details about through flashback at some point in the movie. Um, So now he's just like a miserable drunk. Like that's all he does. He's on unemployment. And basically the beginning of the movie shows him going to job interviews. And at first you see, you know, he seems like, Oh, yeah, he's he's generally like, oh, shit, I need a job trying to get these interviews. And then there's there's this one interview where they're like, yeah, I think we're interested in hiring you. So I think, you know, if you can, you can start on Monday. And he's like, uh, by the way, there's some stuff I should tell you. Uh, I'm a complete alcoholic. I pretty much can't even get moving unless I have like three or four beers in me in the morning. It just rattles off all this horrible shit about himself so they don't hire him so of course his immediate next stop is the unemployment office where he gets his check and then immediately just goes to the bar and pretty much drinks it away so he's very down and out um his seems like his only focus is someday it'd be nice if i could get back on the police force But everybody keeps telling him, like, that's not going to happen. So you should really, like, find something else to move on to. Um, So, of course, he gets thrown out of the bar and goes and picks up more beer. And then the next morning, he wakes up in the middle of, like, some random field. His car is, like, just sitting there. Like, he obviously... Drove to this field, rolled out of his car, trashed out of his mind, and then just fell asleep in the field. So he, you know, fixes himself, gets up, and then gets back in his car and is driving home. And as uh, as he's like leaving the field, he sees this weird thing on the side of the road, so he goes to look, and actually finds this woman who has been like pretty much like beaten to death. Like she's still alive, like barely. So he puts her in his car, takes her to the hospital. She ends up like passing away, like within like that day. So technically it then becomes a murder. He then starts becoming obsessed with trying to figure out what happened to this girl. And like the the cops that he sort of used to work with, like the detectives are working on it. And they keep telling him, like, you're not a cop anymore. Like, leave this alone. Just, you know, stop getting in our way. But he's obsessed with it, and it sort of comes to like, if I could do this good thing and figure out who killed this girl, maybe I could start fixing my life or whatever. So that's sort of the setup for the rest of this movie: is him sort of investigating this whole thing and the links he goes to to figure out what happened and how everything shakes out. And yeah, I absolutely love this movie. I thought it was fantastic. And I was still like shocked that like nobody talked about this movie when it came out, because I feel like it like John Hawks is amazing in it. Uh, Robert Forrester's in it. He's really good. Um, Clifton Collins Jr's in it. He plays a pimp, and he's super awesome. Um, Octavia Spencer is in it, and she's even like a producer on it. Anthony Anderson plays, like, one of his best friends. And, yeah, it's all just really good. And I'm just kind of bummed that nobody seems to know about this movie. So I'd say very much worth your time. if You get a chance to watch it.
0: Here's
3: a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. All right,
2: Noah, do you want to tell us what we're doing next week?
1: I do, but I forgot. Oh, uh, we're doing Deathbed, the bad that eats people. And uh, what have we teamed up with? Pulse?
2: Pulse from right. 1988 with a young Joseph Lawrence.
1: Would you believe that is also considered to be a terrible movie, if I'm not <laughs> mistaken?
2: Uh, I own it on Blu-ray, and it was a blind buy. I did have buyer remorse afterwards, so take that for whatever you <laughs> <want>. <laughs> For what you will.
1: I was going to say, I know whenever you look in horror movie groups and people say, What's the worst horror movie ever made? a lot of people go,
2: Pulse. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there was another one with Christina, Christina, with Kristen Bell. There was a remake of a Japanese movie. That one was also called Pulse, but they may have been talking about this one. I don't know.
1: And there's also The Pulse, it's another horror movie.
3: Yeah. At least one of us is going to screw this up and watch the wrong movie next week. Is that getting
2: <laughs> well, this one with Joey Lawrence is about sentient electricity trying to kill him and his death. Uh, so, yeah.
1: I'm confused. You're saying a movie with the acting talent of Joey Lawrence <laughs> could have possibly
3: not been well made?
2: Uh, It's hard to believe, but
1: yeah.
3: Well, I don't think it'll be the worst movie we watch next week. That's my guess.
1: And the <laughs> other movie is called Deathbed, the bed that eats people. If if the title card alone does not bring you joy, you are dead inside.
3: <laughs> you have a different view of the world than most other people do, Noah. No. <laughs>
1: I accept that.
2: So, Pulse, a visiting son, tries to warn his father and stepmother that they are being menaced by a living and intelligent pulse of electricity that moves from house to house and terrorizes the
1: residents therein. So, why do I feel like this is another Ghost in the Machine reference? How many Ghost in the Machine references can be
3: made?
2: Well, technically, I think this one is before Ghost in the
1: Machine
3: so you're saying Ghost in the Machine ripped this off? Oh, man.
1: Well, Ghost in the Machine was... It, it is really bad. We should watch Ghost in the Machine. It's really bad. Should we just
3: switch it out and do I Ghost in
1: the Machine and the Pulse?
3: Let's quit trying to get it away from Deathbed. bro! Oh, yeah.
1: Jesus Christ. Bonus movie. We're watching three. <laughs> Deathbed, the These people, Pulse, and Ghost in the Machine. Deathbed is the one that would not fit in that trio you know what the funny thing is I'm pretty sure I haven't tried to find it but since I saw Ghost of the Machine on VHS however fucking long ago that was I have never seen that movie again anywhere so I'm assuming it's not easy to find but maybe I'm wrong maybe it's on Tubi or something
2: I'm wondering does anybody check to see where we're going to watch uh, Deathbed
3: I think it's on YouTube.
2: Let's see. It goes to the machine. Wow. Yeah, you can't find it anywhere unless it's on YouTube illegally. It's not
3: illegal. It's legal if it's on
2: oh, YouTube. I lied. I was looking at the wrong screen. Yeah, you can pretty much rent it like everywhere. Amazon, Google Play. All right, let's see if Deathbed's anywhere. <coughs> you can rent Deathbed for $4 on Amazon if need be. At least here yeah. in the States.
3: But I'm reasonably confident Deathbed was on YouTube because I think it was one of those ones where I'm like, "Well, I'm not not gonna look too hard for this." (laughs) Holy,
1: holy shit! I just typed in Pulse, Pulse 2006, Pulse 2001, Pulse 1998,
2: Pulse 2000, Pulse
1: 2016.
2: Just type in Pulse. Whoa! I'm sure it'll (laughs) show. Please remember to replace the speaker
0: on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say good night. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.
1: Damn it, I just, I just saw one on the list and I was like, oh, I want to do that. And I was like, no, wait, that was part of Doug's fucking plan. I can't feed into Doug's plan. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, I you can avoid my plan.
1: <laughs> it was like going through the list, I was like, Nightmare City, yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know you want
1: it. Fucking son of a bitch. No, I refuse. I refuse to be pushed around by you. So instead, we're doing Deathbed, the bed that eats people. Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Impulse. Oh,
2: man. Still technically
3: part of my plan. Still technically part (laughs) of my plan. (laughs) This is still a moral victory for me. I get Deathbed off, off the list of things that I feel obligated to watch but don't really want to. And I take you two down with me.
1: I can honestly say... I have never seen Deathbed, the bed that eats people. Neither have I. It, tot- it totally I, seems like one of those movies I should have seen, but I just, I have not.
2: And I have seen it, which means <laughs> you're going to wish you had not seen it by the time it's over.
3: I think it's reasonable to assume that it's going to be like three of us not liking it.
2: But. I don't know. Maybe, maybe on this rewatch, I'll be like, Oh no, it actually wasn't that bad.
1: I don't, I don't, I don't know how it could be bad. The name of the movie
3: is <laughs> the bed, bed That Eats People. That might be the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard you say.
2: and It's
3: quite an accomplishment coming from. I am just I'm just saying cuz
1: going into that you're like, okay, well this is going to be a shitstorm. So all you have to accomplish is shitstorm and you've pretty much met expectations.
2: Yeah, but I mean, the movie's really only popular because Patton oswald made fun of it in one of his stand-up routines. About how bad it was so it can't be that good
3: Daddy why did. would we would we would never pick a movie based on it being popular though that's clearly not what we do oh i know although this week we kind of did that but never mind
2: <laughs> <laughs>